So like I said earlier, I am Barry. I am the youth pastor here, and uh, it, is, it is a pleasure to be here, be here this morning. I love some of the old songs Mike sings, right? Uh, we sang one this morning. It's probably my second favorite one. My favorite one is Amazing Grace. My, my favorite one is Victory in Jesus. And it's just, it, let's do it this way. If you had two words to explain the gospel, if you had two words to explain the gospel, what would you say? If, if you were seeing somebody for the last time, they were getting in a cab, they were getting in their car, and they were about to slam the door, and you had two words to explain the gospel, what would you say? Jesus saves, right? That, that, it, it's the gospel in the most simplest form, but it packs so much power, right? And, and we live in a day and in a time where not only the gospel, but truth, Faith and God has come under fire, right? There, there is no longer, because the Bible said so, is no longer good enough. Does that make sense? Right, right. Growing up, and I grew up Catholic, so, so growing up, my mom would tell me something, and it was, why? And it was because the Bible said so, and it was like, yes, ma'am, and I just went on with life, right? There was, there was no questioning that. Today, that is, no longer the, that is no longer the case. Because the Bible says so is no longer the case. I can Google, I can look up anything and say whatever I want it to say, correct? And as we look at this and, and as, as we start off this morning, this is one of those things that, that hits home for me as a youth pastor, as I'm studying in seminary. Defending my faith hits home for me. And that's why I chose to be in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 3, when we get there. It's because like no other gospel, Luke gives you that apologetic. He gives you that defense for your faith. Luke, uh, being a physician, being a doctor, he was not one of the original 12 apostles. But he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke being one of the largest Gospels there. Yes, Mark has more chapters, I understand that. But as far as words and context, and content, I'm sorry, it, it, Luke is bigger, right? It is, it is combined with Acts, and, and you put those two books together. I, I know we say Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. He did. He wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. But when you straight look at content, Luke has him beat. As you put those two books together, like I said, Luke was not one of the original 12 apostles. He was a traveling companion of Paul. He went on at least two of Paul's missionary journeys. He took a firsthand account of the gospel, of, of the good news of Jesus Christ for this man called Theophilus. So he could, he could give Theophilus this foundation. Theophilus had came to faith, and he wanted to know what he was believing is true. So he, he hired Luke, this physician, to write an account. And Luke, as a physician, went at it like a doctor and says, you know what? Here's the firsthand account of what has happened. And he says it in verse 1. And I tell you this so that what you've heard, you could be sure of. 
There, there's no real... There's no real doubt in Luke's mind what he's doing. Luke knew that Jesus saved, and that was the most important thing to him. So he was going to make sure the foundation on which that stood was solid. And this morning, as I invite you to open Luke, we're going to spend a little bit of time getting to know him a little bit better. Today, today, Luke chapter 3 starts with this crazy cousin of, of Jesus called John the Baptist, right? Uh, John is probably one of my favorite New Testament characters. Like, like Nehemiah is my favorite Old Testament character. He, he, he is like, I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah pulling men's beard out, building walls. He, he is like my favorite Old Testament character. But when you get to the New Testament, John, his little short six-month sprint of ministry, I love it. Like, like, he holds no punches. He, pull, he, he, he goes at everybody full steam. And he's got this Nazarite vow, so he's never cut his hair, never cut his beard. He walks around in camel's, uh, a camel's coat with a leather belt around it. His diet consists of locusts and honey, and he is just this wild, crazy dude that lives in the, in the desert, right? The first time you see John mentioned in Scripture, he, he's in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and uh, Elizabeth says that when, when she heard Mary's voice that the baby leaped for joy. John was born to be special. John was born to be set apart. And, and you look at Scripture and we read and, and you get to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and then you turn the page and you're in Matthew. But what we don't realize is there's a 400-year gap of silence from God between Malachi and John bursting on the scene. And in this 400 years, a lot has happened. Uh, Israel is in Roman rule. They're being oppressed. They're crying out for God. They're crying out for a savior. But their problem is that they want a savior, kind of like Moses, that would come in and free them from bondage. And they miss the Savior that shows up, right? John comes out. He busts onto the scene in this crazy afro, camel hair. I see locusts in his teeth. It's just wild, right? And, and he's out there, and he's yelling and screaming at people, all pointing to one person. He's pointing to Jesus. And no matter what you think about John and my description of John, Jesus says, of women... There is no other greater than John. So no matter what you think or what I think, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, says, there is no other, greater, no other born of women greater than John. Let's look at that real quick. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee... And his brother Philip the Tetrarch, and Idruda, and Tigronius of Lystrium the Tetrarch, 
of Abilene, during the high priest of Anaphis and Caius, the word of God came to the son of John, I'm sorry, came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. Stop right there for a second and we'll get right back to that. In those two verses, Luke gives you the foundation. Luke says these things happened and here's where they happened and here's the time and place. He gave you the governor, the Caesar, the high priest, and everybody else you would need to know to look at extra biblical sources to see if this happened. He's given you that foundation, that planning to plant your foot on and to say, this is what has happened. My faith isn't by circumstance. It isn't by chance. It is by foundation. And here are the reasons why I believe on what I believe. He goes on in verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching and baptizing, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance For forgiveness of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the path for him. Every every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And all... Mankind will see God, salvation. John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized with him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share one with one who does not have. And the one who has food should do the same. The tax collector also came to John the Baptist. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then the soldiers came and asked him, and what should we do? He replied, do not extort money and do not accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered all of them, I baptized you with water, but one more powerful than I is coming. The tongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I will baptize, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His widowing fork is in his hand to clean his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into his barn, but the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exalted the people and preached the good news to them. Verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Heronius, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added these things, added these to them all, and he locked John in prison. You know, you know, 
when we look at John, he doesn't fit any molds, right? Like if you've ever taken a communications class, a speech class, or any class like that, they tell you you have 30 seconds to grab your attention, right? As a public speaker, as somebody on this stage, they tell us we have 30 seconds to grab your attention or, you're, or we've lost you. Whether you're thinking about cooking, what's for lunch, what's in the crock pot, the gardening I got to do, whatever, right? The yard work. We've lost you in those first 30 seconds. And that's a lot of pressure on somebody like me. That's a lot of pressure on somebody like me. But so they teach classes on it. They tell you, you know, tell a funny story, tell a good joke, uh, get, get involved in their lives and, and all these things. What does John do? What's the first words out of John's mouth? You bunch of snakes. Okay, thank you, John. Yeah, like, like he doesn't even come out like, like happy, good, anything. No, he's that dude, right? He's that guy that's going to come out and call it as it is. He's going to call balls and strikes, and he comes out and goes, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming wrath, right? Like, like he just laid it all out on the table, and everybody did, uh-huh, right? Like, like I want you to think about, I mean, we live in a time and in a place where the worst sin I can commit is offending you, right? Like the worst thing I can do to anybody, especially in the youth group, is offend them because it hurts their feelings and they didn't get their participation trophy, right? Like it, it affects them. That is the worst sin. And John comes out and slams everybody. Now realize this. Luke is giving this account. Luke is a Gentile. Writing to, a Jew, writing to a Gentile audience, recording a Jewish event. Do you grasp that? Well, like, Luke is the only Gentile out of the 66 books of the Bible that has written a book. Luke is the only one. And Luke sits there, and he records what John says. And he's looking at him and goes, you brood of vipers. Don't say that just because you have Abraham as your father, you're saved, right? This is before 70 AD. This is before the temple was destroyed. They could account their history. They could tell you their grandpappy's great-great-grandpappy's name, right? They could trace their lineage back to Abraham. They knew what tribe they belonged to. They held pride in that. And John looks at him, you brood of vipers, just because you have Abraham as your father doesn't mean God's going to let you in. Just because your mama and your daddy and your granddaddy was saved, that don't mean nothing for you. He even says, he, he gives them this, he goes, the axe is at the root of the tree. And if you do not produce repentance, it's going to be chopped down and thrown in the fire. John just insulted not only them, but their heritage. You want to talk about not getting your participation trophy? Well, like, he shattered every hopes and dreams these people had. You real? I mean, with these few words, John just, like, we're done, right? And he comes up, and, and I love it. I love verse 3. He went around the country of the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance 
and forgiveness for sins. Like, like why? Like, every time I read that, I shouldn't say every time. The first time I read that, the question I always had was, why are you baptizing before Jesus got there? Right? Well, like, like I'm reading this and John's like, I'm baptizing. I'm like, but baptism symbolizes your death and resurrection in Jesus paying for your sins. Like, like, right? like we're going to have a baptism here uh, Wednesday, the 26th, right? The 26th? Yeah, the 26th. We're going to have a baptism here that Wednesday night. And it's going to be an awesome. It's a time of celebration, and, and we're going to just party. It, 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 whatever it is, we're going to celebrate and party this. We do it every time for baptism. If you've never attended one of our baptism services, please come. It is, an, it is one of the times that we have a great time. We are celebrating. And, and you're looking at this, and I'm looking at John. It's like, like we realize baptism symbolizes our death and burial in Jesus and our resurrection in newness of life, right? That, that, that's what we, we, we believe that. We, we understand the symbolism. But John here is just baptizing. Jesus isn't even on the scene yet. And John says, I'm baptizing. And, and you want it, like, and like I always, I wanted to know why, so I looked at it. And John does this crazy thing. He baptizes them in repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Paul says we are all born sinners, right? John busts onto the scene, and he, he gives this, this prophet in Isaiah, the, the prophecy in Isaiah, where it says, A voice of one calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. Make straight the path for him. It says, For every, uh, for every valley shall be filled in, and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road sh- be, shall become straight. See, when, when, when in those days, when, when, a, when a visitor or somebody was coming into town of importance, a major road project would go on, and they, they would fix all the roads. In other words, think university and I-25. Think valley, right? They're going to try to fix the potholes, which they haven't. Um, like, like, we all know road construction. If you drive around this town, you know road construction, right? This is what, like, an emperor or a governor was coming into town, and all of a sudden, they would straighten it up. They would pull all the rocks out. They would make the path straight. And this is what John's doing. John's coming, and, and he's looking at people, and he's saying there's something in your life that you've got to get right with Jesus. There's something in your life that is keeping you from relationship with Jesus. And that's not far from us today, because here's the deal. Today, if we look at it, and if you're being honest in your heart of hearts, don't tell me. I don't want to know, because then it's just going to get awkward in here, right? But if we all can say this, if I don't do something about blank, I will not get closer to the Lord. If I don't do something about blank, I will not get closer to the Lord.
That amount of silence is deafening. Because most everyone in this room can fill in that blank. Most every one of us know that area in our life which we hold back. That thing in our life that we know it's wrong, but it's not as bad as that. Right? When John burst on the scenes after 400 years of silence, he's filling in the blanks. Did, did you catch that there? He, he, he looked at him. He looked at him, and, and they came to him. And he says, the man that has two tunics, uh, share one that, one that does not. Uh, the man with food, do the same. And then the tax collectors, the, the most evil, the, the Jewish men who had, been, who had went to the Roman government, who, who, would, who would collect the taxes for the Roman government and then add on their salary and collect as much as they could for themselves, came to John and they looked at him and said, teacher, it's, this, it's, this, it's the same word, it's master, it's, it's Lord, it's, it's showing that he has authority in their lives. And they, they asked him, what should we do? Do not collect any more than you're required. Then the soldiers, the soldiers came to him and John looked at him and said, don't extort money. Don't beat people up for money. Don't accuse people falsely. Don't throw them in jail. And be content with your pay. And John, John doesn't skate around the truth, right? Like John knows the hard issues. John knows the problem. And a lot of us don't do this. With our children, with our friends, with our family, right? We don't do this. We know the issues. We can see them clear as day. But we kind of like, well, that's a real hot button issue. So if I hit this area, and then maybe they'll figure that one out for themselves, Right? John does it. John comes right at it, hits it straight forward. And that makes straight the path for him. For us means confession and repentance go hand in hand. Confession and repentance go hand in hand. John came baptizing of confession and repentance. They confessed their sins. They repented of them. And they sat back and they waited on Jesus. You know, here's one of the awesome things. And here's one of the most wonderful things I love about John. If you ever, when, you, when you study John, John had his own followers. He, he, he was going through the region and he'd baptize. He had his own group of guys that were following him. And, and he'd hear these murmurs. Are you the Christ? Is, is he the Christ? And, and John looks at him straight up and says, no, I am not. I baptize you with water, but there's one more powerful than me coming. The one whose thongs and whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John hears all the murmuring. He knows the murmuring. He knows what everybody's looking for. And he looks at him and says, it ain't me. I'm not the one that you're looking for. The one you're looking for is coming. He's coming. And when he gets here, 
I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Now, now, in those days, that was the lowliest job you can do, right? I mean, to, to touch somebody's feet was the most lowliest job ever. And even to this day, from people from the Middle East, I, when I worked on helicopters, uh, we had a guy, he didn't talk to one of his friends for over eight months. We were working on the helicopters, and when, sometimes when we work on there, we just sit down, hang our feet down, and he was, he was working on the fuel system. Guy's name was Roscoe. He was underneath the, the helicopter doing some other work, and when he came out, he bumped his head on John's feet. John looked at him and said he was sorry. I mean, it was, it was no big deal. John just said, hey, been sorry about that. He, he moved his feet out the way. And Roscoe lost his mind. Like to the point that me and one of my buddies, Speedy, had to grab Roscoe and pull him back. Because how much he disgraced him and how much everything that he had did that was wrong. And we're trying to talk to Roscoe. He's like, Roscoe, you slid out the helicopter. John's feet were just there. And for eight months, he didn't talk to him. For eight months, they didn't even look. At, we, had to move, we had to move Roscoe Cruz because they couldn't even be on the same helicopter together. And then it was funny. We were working on New Year's Eve because I work seven and seven, so you got no days off. Uh, so when New Year, it just so happened that we were working New Year's Eve. And on New Year's Day, Roscoe walked up to, to John and put his hand out and said, I forgive you. <laughs> We're a bunch of oil field mechanics and Louisiana guys. It, it was kind of funny because John kind of looked at me and goes, okay. <laughs> I, I, it was the, the, the look of, I have no clue what I did wrong, but okay. And, and I got to finally, after, he, after Roscoe, after eight months, I was like, Roscoe, why did you get so mad about that? I was like, it was an accident. You slid out. John's feet were there. I said, like, it happens all the time here. He goes, you do not understand how disgraceful that is in my country. You do not touch anybody else's feet. That is only for the lowliest of servants, and I am no longer a servant. I was like, all right, bud, got you. So we always watch that from then on. But, but I got a glimpse of how bad that can be. And John, looking at him and says, you know what? I'm not able to undo his sandals. And John is giving this picture because when Jesus busts onto the scene and Jesus comes in, John fades back. John sends his disciples to Jesus, and John fades back into oblivion. The one thing I love about John is that John fades away so Jesus can become more. How can I make much of Jesus in my life? How can you make much of Jesus? At some point, we all want the accolades. We all want the prominence. We all want the fame. And at the end of the day, it's all because we've been blessed by Jesus. How do we, as a church, turn the focus off of us and put it on Christ? How do we come to that place where we repent of whatever it is, we confess our sins and make much of Jesus. Verse 17, 
He says the widowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's, it's the picture in this day, uh, in Jesus' day, is this, this fork with kind of this mesh screen on it. And you would take the wheat and you would beat it until it would loosen up. And then you would take it and you'd throw it up. And then the chaff would blow away and the wheat would stay there. And you'd do this until it would become clean. And then you would save the wheat for, for, for cooking. And the chaff, the only thing good for that, the dust and, and, and the leftovers, was for burning. So, so that John was giving this illustration and this picture that there's a day coming where Jesus is going to separate those who love him and those who know him from those who will be in unquenchable fire. And they get that, and I don't think we do today. Because as much as we like to make fun of people who, who don't like to get their feelings hurt, we don't like it either. We, we, we love to hear the good Jesus. We love to hear the happy Jesus. We love to hear the Jesus that saves. But if there's a Jesus who saves, there's also a Jesus who condemns. John, looking out at his Jewish audience, said, you brood of vipers. Don't think your, your, your heritage is going to save you. It's Jesus. And as I wrap up today, Today of all days, I'm laying a message in front of you. And you have to make a choice of what you're going to do with that message. I don't know. I don't know what the blank is. I don't know whatever it is. Is it the blank is, I have to get right with you, Jesus, and I have to come to faith? I need to get in a connect group and find some people who love me and who want to be my friend? Do I, I need some community? Do I just need to join a church? Whatever that blank is for you today, as Brother Mike comes up and sings the final hymn, there'll be some pastors up front. Don't leave here without making it right with Jesus. Because the simple gospel is he saves. That is true. But at the end of the day, he also condemns. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your message from John. The Father, as we make straight the path, that Father, you love us so much that you sent your son to die so that we may be forgiven and spend eternity with you. Father, soften our hearts today. Make today the day we rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray.